the gods Kukulkan and Tepeu consider creating beings to worship them. That's how gods are. If no one adores them, they seem to look less. To begin with, they separate the land and the sea. Later, they created all the vegetation, both the wild and the one that could be cultivated to feed. Then they created the animals. But it was at this point that the problems began. When it was time to worship them, animals only did unintelligible sounds. So Kukulkan and Tepeu got angry and condemned them to feed on each other. They decided then to create a higher being who had more capacities, such a mind and heart, so that he was able to worship them and also keep track of the days. Man's first attempt was made from mud, but it was a failure. He couldn't stand upright, and when it rains, he fell apart. He was unable to speak and reproduce, so Kukulkan and Tepeu gave up their attempt to make clay men and try again with another material. And that was how they created the wooden man. Things seemed to work better. The wooden man stood, talk, reproduce, work. But over time, the gods realized that something was missing. They had no soul or memory. Kukulkan and Tepeu soon realized that not having a soul or memory was a problem, since they did not remember who their creators were, and this bothered them since they considered that the wooden men were ungrateful, so they sent a universal flood and killed almost everybody. They cleansed the land of those ungrateful and traitorous beings. Some say that the survivors of that version of wooden men that have survived to this day are monkeys. After those failures, the two gods changed their strategy and tried to use as a starting point the most precious of their creation, corn. And from the white corn, they mold the human figure and with the red corn, they made their blood. This was the version that finally worked. This is how, as the sacred book of the Mayas, the Popol Vuh, tell us how the world and men were created in a compilation of the sacred stories that dates back to more than 200 years before Christ. Something about this story caught my attention, and it is that humanity is closely related to something that is fundamental to life. We are made of corn, a grain that is certainly sacred to all Latin Americans. Corn, grain of the sun, golden, which give us food and make us strong. Without corn, 80% of the traditional dishes of Latin American countries wouldn't exist, and what can give us more identity than the foods of our countries, of our land? Then, I realize that if there is something that unites the gods, the spirits, the creation, and the longing of all of us in the same place, it's precisely that, food. 
Perhaps that is why Kukulkan and Tepeo made us of corn, because it is in food where our spirit and our identity resides. My name is Jose Calabres, and I want to welcome you to the plaza, a meeting place where we will talk a little about the treasures of life, and we will realize that no matter where we come from or where we go, we all want the same things. Our Father, who art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. With this sentence, which is perhaps the most famous prayer in the world, we can appreciate the importance of something of transcendental meaning. Take a seat in the front of a table and in front of food. Food is something sacred, and it's that sharing food something so sacred that even Jesus decided to do it as the last act with his most intimate followers before he died. That of the Last Supper perhaps represents the sacredness of the act of sharing food with those we love the most as an act of honor, respect, and love. In my case, there are some smells that transport me to moments of my own history, but not to the memory of a place, but to how I felt at a particular moment. These types of memories are directly associated with certain smells, such as freshly roasted coffee, which reminds me of my home in Venezuela, where my parents, they harvest coffee for several years, and after grinding and drying the beans under the sun and the house's courtyard, they were toast. The smell of roast coffee permeated everything, and it was delicious. For many reasons, I associate that fragrance with happiness and with my family. I still remember Maria, who helped my parents with housework, roasting coffee and telling my mom that she shouldn't open the fridge because the temperature change could leave her crook. I didn't understand that, but I will never forget it. I also remember the smoky smell of the banana leaves to cover the ayacas, which are a kind of Venezuelan tamal that is confectionated only in December as the main Christmas dish. During these seasons, my uncles and cousins met on our house to share the festivities as a family, a huge one. And perhaps those houses full of family, joy, cooking together, and music are the most precious memories of my life. That joy will be forever associated with the smells of those foods, with the smell of each species used in the kitchen. For Latin Americans, the kitchen is perhaps the place of the house where we spend more time. Food is the most tangible way to show our love for someone. A business lunch in a restaurant is not the same as a meal prepared at home to share with someone who will sit at our table. Be our guest is a kind of consummation of an intimate relationship, where we open the doors of our sacred places, where everything that represents us, what we are, what we love, is protected. And now it opens to receive someone and share the food we have earned for ourselves and our beloved ones. For us, Latin Americans, the act of eating is something sacred. Mariana Guerrero is a beautiful Mexican woman who lives in the United States. When she was in Mexico, 
She was a lawyer. But when she moved to the US, she decided to make a dream come true and that she had in her head for a long time. Dedicate herself to cooking. I asked to my beloved friend Marianne to explain me a little what she sees in the kitchen and what the sacred act of choosing and preparing the food that she will offer at her table represents when she does her magic. To my pleasant surprise, Marianne prepared food to receive me and we ate together at her table. And while we talked, she cooked and shared those delicious food with me. And of course, I did not miss the chance to ask her why somebody will make the decision to change her life in a 180 degrees way. Her response was one of those moments in life when I felt tiny in front of the greatness of a wise. Before, I used to work in the administration of a fabric company, but there was always in me a leaning towards the kitchen. And I don't know, it's not the same that you always have anguished clients who come to you to solve problems for them than receiving clients who actually enjoy something that you are doing. That image, for me, is very important. And that's why it was not difficult for me to come to this country and start working with food. I realized that cooking, beyond a meal, represents in a certain way part of our identity. As an immigrant, every time I ask someone what they miss about their countries, invariably the country they come from, everyone usually answers more or less the same thing. Friends, family and food. And that makes me realize that certainly food is something that unites us in a very spiritual way with who we are and where we come from. Because It's our food that symbolizes our roots and our past. We are nothing more than the result of our past. And without it, we are nothing. Our dishes are who we are and where we come from. I confess that I have been very lucky because I grew up surrounded by people blessed with the most wonderful seasoning gift. My grandma, Ramona, was one of those movie grannies who were always in the kitchen preparing something. And when she left her house, it was to buy more ingredients to keep cooking. Of her, I remember the most delicious and largest pastiches that I ever seen. But it is that when my grandma cooked, it was to feed a battalion of people who went to her house to eat what she had prepared. I remember her mango jellies, also prepared in industrial quantities, or her majaretes, which were a kind of sweet cornmeal flan that we all ate with cannibalistic hunger. My papa is an excellent chef who always used his culinary skills to delight his friends at home every time they visit us. From the heart of Los Andes and from his hands, I knew the most delicious fondue, the fluffy butter croissants and the awesome apple strudel. From my mother, a woman who is exquisite in everything she does. I have the lasagna with sweet corn that she prepared when my sister and I were children. The black Christmas cake with dried fruits marinated in brandy. The pasta frolla with marmalade and so much more. From my mother-in-law, an Italian woman capable of making the most delicious dishes with what she barely has on hand, the best Bologna sauce in the world. 
the sublime gnocchis, and so much more. Now, I understand that each of those dishes are a bit of my history, and I treasure all of them in my soul, because they remind me those who are important for me. When I spent my first Christmas living in the US, I realized something. It was the first Christmas in my entire life that I wouldn't eat the ayacas that my father used to cook. When I say my dad, it's because I only help him on the preparation more as an honorary assistant than as a real cook. He took care of everything. The recipe for these ayacas was inherited by my father from his mother and who had inherited from her mother and this in turn from her mom. This recipe had been preparing my family following the very same recipe for at least 200 years. That first Christmas at home with my daughter and my wife, I sat the table at our Christmas dinner with exquisite dishes, but that one the one I found from my grandmother, from my father, was the great absence. It was as if I had lost part of myself just for not having that food on my plate. And then I realized that my nine years old daughter was going to grow up in a country where ayacas doesn't exist and where everything is both frozen and ready to bake and eat in 20 minutes. It was difficult for me to accept that my daughter would grow up without knowing that in that dish there were two centuries of family, hundreds of stories, lives, happiness, hugs, encounters, separations, and longing that had brought us to the present. How could I let this legacy as ours, as Venezuelans and as Calabres, to be lost? So I called my father, who was then in Peru, and step by step, my father explained to me for a thousand times the Calabreses Ayacas recipe. In December 2019, for the very first time in my whole life, I prepared my own Ayacas as mine, have been doing it for more than two centuries ago. And now, every year, my daughter will prepare them with me, so that when I'm not here, on Christmas, maybe, she will unite her spirit with mine and with all of her ancestors from a boiling cauldron, as if it were a kind of magic potion capable of uniting us one more time. Far from wanting to live in nostalgia, I remember each of these dishes and these moments of my life with a lot of love and a lot of hope, knowing that our memory is full of beautiful memories that make us happy and make us value life from the simplest as the simple smell of coffee gives me the certainty the most valuable treasures in life are not found in any bank vault or they are covered with gold, but we keep them in our hearts and they nourish our souls when we need them most. We are surrounded by beautiful stories, and every day we write a new one or another in the book of life of those around us. May the light fill the spaces in which we always exist. Thank you for joining me once again on this tour of the plaza, where I have relived many beautiful memories. 
Remember to subscribe to this podcast from your favorite platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify as The Plaza Podcast. And on Instagram as Plaza Podcast. Production, voice, and editing, Jose Calabres. I wait for you in the next episode. See you soon.